Welcome to the Veterans of Peace Radio Hour and Podcast on Radio Free Nashville 107.1 and 103.7 and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. You're going to get arrested. I'm missing a meeting. And they're like just very calmly saying, you know, we're, we're sorry. It's not personal. You know, we, we uh, we're we sure we're happy. To, please. Yeah, let's go to court. Let's go to court. Let's talk about this. We're happy to go to court. Let's get any coverage. There's no coverage about this. So that was Anthony Donovan, member of Veterans for Peace, activist, and person who was right on site at the second meeting of states' parties for the TPNW, the Treaty and the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And you'll hear more from Anthony shortly. But first, my name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. We're members of Veterans for Peace. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Just go to veteransforpeace.org. This radio show and podcast is on stations across the country. Thanks to Pacifica Radio Network. We are also on SoundCloud, Anchor Podcast, Spotify, and your phone podcast app. Just search Veterans for Peace. The Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by you, the listener, because it is you that keeps Radio Free Nashville going. And as a result, this radio show is then picked up by the Pacifica Radio Network so that we are heard across the country. So if you think this is important, just go to RadioFreeNashville.org and click on the donate button and keep Harvey and I on the air in every time zone in the U.S. Oh, and if you support the work of Veterans for Peace, go to our site, also at VeteransForPeace.org. We've got a donate button there. While the mainstream media, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms are censoring voices of activism and dissent, we will continue to share those voices who stand up against the establishment, who stand up against the military, industrial, congressional, media, corporate, can we include nuclear complex, who stand up for us, the global us. So before we get to our interview with Anthony Donovan, we must acknowledge a couple of things. First of all, this is the week of December 7th and Pearl Harbor Day. And of course, as Harvey and I were both in the Navy and a, and the subsequent generation from those sailors who suffered through that and then uh, all through the war in the Pacific, we must also acknowledge that uh, Kissinger died. And as Vietnam veterans, Harvey and I both need to remember or would like you to remember his misdeeds so that uh, maybe we can avoid them in the future. And of course, Israel ended the short ceasefire and continues the genocide in Gaza. And of course, you can keep up with that by just going to democracynow.org uh, or Breaking Points um, or a number of different independent sources. Okay, on with our show. So today we have news that you are not going to hear anywhere else but right here on the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour. A very important meeting just finished up at the UN. The second meeting of states' parties on the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons just finished up. And Anthony Donovan, member of Veterans for Peace, member of the Anti-Nuclear Working Group, an anti-nuclear activist, in New York for decades, spent much of the week being active in attending, participating, and encouraging the delegations at the second meeting of states' parties. And Anthony joins us with his reflections and much more. So with that, on with the show. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for short notice and taking some time. Oh, Jim, thank you so much. It's an honor. And yeah, it's it's been a very full non-stop week here well first of all anthony we need to know a little bit about you um you're a member of veterans for peace and you are a member of the no nukes group right but what else well yeah i am a associate member of uh, veterans for peace chapter 34 here in new york from i don't know 15 years or uh and i i always credit well the, the vietnam veterans against the war for my not going to Vietnam. I, I 
there was a time I wanted to go. And it wasn't until I met some returning vets from that war that, that really changed my life because I, I actually couldn't believe that we were killing women and children over there and uh, that we were over there to save lives. And these guys kind of straightened me out. And so I uh, really, my heart goes out to those men and, and women who, who helped me understand what was really going on in war and in that war in particular. So the women and children continue to be the most victimized. Oh, God. So I know we're going to be talking about this uh, this week uh, about nuclear weapons, but you know, in the background the whole time has been just the horror that we're all dealing with and the darkness of yes. what's going on in Palestine. And my, as we speak, our hearts are, are going out for those people and that have no idea when a bomb is going to strike or mm -hmm. it's it just terrifying. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so more about me, just that I awoke really became an activist when I went down to see some Vietnam vets returning down on wall street in 1970, June. I was, you know, interested and active and attended a few events in the late 60s about war. But uh, it wasn't until I went to this rally at Wall Street. I'm a New Yorker, June 1st, 1970, where I went down to hear some Black Panthers and some returning vets. And they were down on Wall Street up by George Washington statue right in the center of things. And they were addressing a couple of hundred of us who were interested to hear what they had to say about war. And all of a sudden, we were surrounded by thousands and thousands. Every corner was blocked with thousands of construction workers descending <laughs> upon us. And I was like, oh, well, then I can, uh, I don't have to be afraid. They're not going to touch me. I'm not a protester. I'm not a, you know, I'm a nice guy. You know, I still, I believe in my government. I love everybody. So I'll be okay. And uh, and there was a police line between us. They formed, but there were just thousands of them with flags and with two by fours and with tools. And and I was like, yeah, I'll be okay. And there was a young woman my age next to me. We we're all of 17, 18 years old. And that police line kind of started to disappear. And then graffiti started falling from the windows above. People cheering the new arrived construction workers that came from around the, the state area and just descended on us and started swinging. I think 80 people, no one died that I know of, but about 80 people went to the hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, the woman next to me got knocked out right on the, immediately. I Luckily, I was a football player in my youth. So I, I put my head down, pretended I was carrying the ball and just mm -hmm. and kept doing that for 10 minutes till I got to place of safety. And I was beat up. I got some bruises and a little bloodied. So that is what woke me up to like, what the hell is going on? Love it or leave it. I mean, what are you talking about? I love it and I want to stay. So that's the beginning of things. And and so since then, I, I went to jail a couple of times for protests against the war, but not long, a month here, a couple of weeks there. Very interested in nonviolent civil, nonviolent resistance, strongly influenced by uh, Gandhi and Martin Luther King, et cetera. So uh I never, never enjoyed the calling people names or calling people pigs and stuff like that. I, I, I thought that we had to come from a place within. So that's enough about me. I, and nukes, you know, right after the Vietnam War, there were huge nuke rallies in New York. Everyone knows the 1982 rally. That's what everyone talks about. But I like to remind people that in 1976, we had hundreds and hundreds of people, plane loads from Japan, but hundreds of War Resisters League, Catholic Worker, a number of groups that were protesting uh, nuclear weapons. And I would join up in between. I went to nursing school at that time. I went to a nurse practitioner program in the city. Uh, but whenever I could, and I heard about these things, I would go out there and walk on the streets with them. And it was very compelling. So since the 70s, I've been very taken by this. The, there were a lot of interfaith things that I was very, that was wonderful in the 70s. Tremendous amount of rabbis and priests and different, uh, the Buddhists, you know, all coming together around this issue. So it was really a tremendous time. We had, in New York, we had 
Bella Absog, uh, and we had um, Ted Weiss, who was my congressman in the Upper West Side. He was tremendous. Ted Weiss was a soft, gentle person, but very determined and strong in his opposition. And they welcomed Russians. It was the beginning of a lot of uh, our enemy. Remember, that's why we have nuclear weapons, because of the great danger of our enemy. And that's that's what today still we use today to build the new nuclear arms race that we're in today, which yeah. is full out again is all about we have to do this because our enemies are doing it. So it's the same argument back then. It's the same argument, by the way, that Eleanor Roosevelt heard. And I, I, don't, I know that you two probably know all this, and whoever's listening probably knows all this too, but Eleanor Roosevelt knew this. She, she was really into nuclear abolition. She invited Khrushchev to her home, took him out, her, him and his wife to their gardens, had a great talk, and she knew that the answer was always get to know people and stop with this enemy stuff. So and she's the one that told John F. Kennedy when he got elected, or before he got elected, to please choose Adlai Stevenson to uh, be his UN representative. I talk, I do, I've done some documentaries, and I talk about that in one of my documentaries. And and John uh, Kennedy truly adored her, Eleanor Roosevelt, and said, yeah. And, and uh, so he ran, as you know, probably against Ike uh, to be president of the United States. And his one of his, you know, his big campaign thing was to get rid of nukes, stop this mm-hmm. nuke race that we're in. He was our UN, our UN rep for John Kennedy. So, so anyway. So Adlai Stevenson was anti-nuke also. He, he was. Uh, you know, we all... When you get into the system much and at the UN, he gave some speeches. It was tough because you uh, because then, you know, Russia exploded the largest bomb ever known to man. It's still, I think, the largest explosion ever done, which shook buildings and knocked out windows, you know, hundred and some odd miles away. It was really phenomenal. He gave a stern warning to Russia to stop. So, you know, I just read a, I reread a book. Yeah. The Imp- yeah. The Improbable Triumphant by Norman Cousins, written in 1972, long out of print. So yeah. I found this book a number of years ago, and I'm rereading it now. And we, I have to write an article about it because it's Norman Cousins was the back channel with Khrushchev. Pope John the 23rd, who was very much like Pope Francis now, Pope John the 23rd was desperate to do something about nuclear weapons. But they back channeled, Norman Cousins was the back channel to those three. And this book is all about their conversations. It's beautiful. And that's how they got that test ban treaty, which was a miracle getting it. That was the height of our production of nuclear missiles. 1962, height of our of our, our armament production. And here, these three managed to get a, a test ban halt. You know, atmospheric only, but the 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 powers that be are military. They hated this, and they managed to pull it off, and under great great odds. Mm-hmm. And this book tells you how they did it, and we all need to, to relearn how they did it. They got everyone involved, and so, they got and they did that in 1963 <laughs> between Kennedy's peace speech at, at American <laughs> University, and of course uh, November 22nd. That's uh, right. It was before this uh, back channeling was happening, before his uh, speech. He actually asked Khrushchev, if, hey, you know, I'm giving a speech you know, next week. <laughs> Would you tune in? And Khrushchev carried Kennedy's speech. He trusted Kennedy enough at that time. He asked his, his political, uh, what, what is it called over there? Anyway, their assembly to listen. And they put it on their public radio throughout Russia, translated. Kennedy's speech, it's more than we did. We didn't well, do course. that here. We yeah. hit it. I didn't listen to that speech till I started working on this documentary, which is... Uh... <clears throat> so about uh, about me, I, I did write a book in 1983. I went to the UN. I went into a little meditation room in the UN the end of 1982 and I was going crazy about the world 
so many threats and wars in the world in 1982 and the level of rhetoric of nuclear weapons. <clears throat> a lot of us were involved back then. <clears throat> a lot of city councils were beginning were getting involved. But I was in this little meditation room in the UN, tiny, empty all the time, just kind of pleading with something greater than myself, like, what can I do? And I just said, start talking to these countries. So I went around asking questions about war and about nuclear weapons in particular. And I wrote a little book called World Peace? That sold out at the UN bookstore. But enough about me. It's, a, it's the only book in the last book I wrote. And uh, after that, I, I'm a nurse. I, I was a manager of medical clinics here in New York City. I managed the medical clinic for the largest homeless shelter in New York City. It was a 1,200-bed homeless shelter. Uh, and I managed the medical clinic inside that homeless shelter for 12 years until it closed. Uh, so, And I was through the HIV epidemic. I helped start home health care companies because hospitals did not want to deal with it when it first happened. I don't know if you remember, but they were pushing away these diseased people. They didn't know what the hell was going on. And so we started fervently opening up home health companies to deal with so that's a little bit of my background, medical, dealing with death and dying. I That hospital closed uh, uh, in New York, and I was out of a job, and I went back to doing hospice nursing. So for the past 12 years, I'm, I'm currently a hospice nurse. I work tomorrow morning, and I will do that primarily cancer patients. So all this talk about radiation, oh, safe levels of radiation we've heard for all these years the dumping of Fukushima, what the whole tech company was telling us here in, in our Hudson River. Well, we, we're just going to release some safe levels of contaminated water. And, you know, I've got patients that are uh, dying from cancer and they don't know why. Some of them yeah. live in the area. Some of them worked at uh, this power plant, Indian Point. Oh, so wow. that's my other life. <clears throat> but very dedicated. I've done a couple of documentaries. I have a website if you're into it's my name, anthonydonovan.com. I've posted most of my documentaries there. Not many. Yeah, things. people can find your documentaries on at Anthony Donovan, all one word dot com. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And uh it's not I, I don't I try to update it somewhat <clears throat> here and there. You talked about a miracle before, which was uh, I think uh, Kennedy and Khrushchev signing that uh, a treaty in 1963 to eliminate um, atmospheric testing. Well, I want to move to the latest miracle, which is the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapon, and specifically the second meeting of states' parties, which just finished up. And I know you spent most of your week in and around the area and i want to get an update on that but first what what is the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons yes 1963 was a miracle and yes uh there there were conferences of about 155 nations that started around 2012 2013 the first conferences on the humanitarian consequences of nuclear weapons uh, that's what it was called these nation states realized that the NPT, which is the law, which we have signed, Russia has signed, etc., um, <clears throat> was not, we were not acting on this. We kept, we had every five years review of the NPT, but and we're not. NPT living, stands for? Non-proliferation treaty. Thank you very much. I apologize. 1970, actually, President Johnson, 1968, before he left came to the UN and and to his credit, not, not everything else to his credit, of course, those of you in Vietnam don't yeah. give Johnson a lot of credit, but uh, he did go to the UN and praise and, and announce that the US would be putting forth and willing to sign this treaty, the non-proliferation treaty, that was 1968. So all treaties take time after you sign it to go through each state has its own way of um, ratifying 
a treaty. So it's not official in that country until it's ratified by the governing body. So our NPT, Non-Proliferation Treaty, was ratified in 1970. And in there, in Article 6, it states very clearly something to the effect that we promise all the countries around the world that if you just stay away from making nuclear weapons, uh, we promise you that we'll start a process of getting rid of ours. So uh, this was our promise. That's Article 6. And basically, we haven't kept our promise. <laughs> We've been making new ones. We keep making new ones and we keep building. And, but we'll go around telling everyone you can't do it. I mean, look at Iran. We want to blow up Iran because they, they're working on making nuclear weapons. Well, they have every right to have nuclear weapons. I'm sorry if, we, if we're making them and for, because they're for our safety and security, Iran. So I'm, I'm way off course. You got to pull me in every once in a while, Jim. So, um, so the past week, <clears throat> um, so, so I'm sorry. These conferences started back then, uh, and they went to th- three: Mexico, uh, Vienna, uh, in Austria, uh, Sweden, and Oslo, and um, they would gather talking about the humanitarian consequences. Pope Francis was, uh, so the, it, this conference, it was called a conference then, came to the United Nations in uh, 2016, the end of 2016 and 2017. <clears throat> and they had two and a, two months about of just people working day and night, nations from around the world working day and night on how can we make this this treat this into a treaty a bind, something that will have effect something that will support the npt something that will move us away from this stagnation this blocking that the nuclear states are doing something where the that will acknowledge that the rest of the world has been pleading with the nuclear states to please stop this madness we want to live too we have children you have no right to blow the entire precious planet apart. So that's what this is about. So they've been meeting. So in New York, they work day and night, all these committees and the representatives. We had a lot of input in this from civil society. You all know about ICANN. Uh, They helped gather a lot of civil society, but it wasn't just ICANN. It was many, many groups, Veterans for Peace, War Resisters League here in New York, Catholic worker, they've been at this forever. They never stop peace action. So ICANN is, claims to be, you know, represent all these groups, but many groups have been acting independently and beyond. ICANN is, can't control everything. It's a, not a huge organization, I mean, in terms of people running it. So, but it's beautiful. They did a great job. And... um so what happened after this two months is they they came to a vote. They worked really hard. And uh, the leader of this conference, who was from a woman from Costa Rica, gosh, I'm skipping on her name right now, but I'm sorry. Um, they came to a vote to make this a treaty. So that's what happened on July 7th, I think, 2017. I was in the room. I took off from work for the whole month and a half. And I followed as many meetings as I could. It was I was allowed to go. To me, this was exciting, and a lot of our fellow activists were kind of saying, "Well, I don't. This we don't have it. We don't have it. It won't happen. So, or it can't happen. We're up against too much." Some people thought people were dreaming. So we got that even from some of our own. Not not me. I I was just hoping, giving it my all, like many of you. And that vote, boom, 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 light skip. It was, you know, it can make me cry. But 122 countries said yes. So it was by far overwhelmingly voted to become a treaty. It became a treaty on that day. Um, so then it takes time to for people to sign it. At that time, I think 65 or so nations came along and signed it. Uh, a month in in September, September 20th, I believe, of that year. And it takes time for people to ratify it. So, and when a, a, when something at the UN gets 50 ratifications, it becomes 
international law. So in 2021, I think January 21st, I'm sorry, um, January 21st, we got 50 ratifications. The TPNW, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, became international law. In our Constitution, the United States Constitution, it states that international treaties become the law of our land. That's in our Constitution. So we are violating our own Constitution by ignoring this treaty. And I was also there at the beginning of this conference. It was still a conference before it was a treaty. At the UN, right across the street is our US-UN mission. <clears throat> Nikki Haley was our wonderful ambassador at the time, came over and was outside the conference hall telling people that they were irresponsible and dangerous for even partaking in such a thing, that they knew how to secure things for the world and we should trust the nuclear states for doing the right thing. She actually was saying this. I, unfortunately, our allies stood behind her, you know, and were saying pretty much the same thing. So that's what these countries were up against. Warnings from the U.S. and their allies that you better not, you better not go ahead here this is not a good thing to do you're being irresponsible and you don't know all the facts you know who knows all the facts our our military and our government knows all the facts china and russia too they know all the facts so so the miracle happened and so what they have is every year since it became a treaty uh, they will have meetings of states parties Uh, so well the first one was in vienna last year and and the second meeting of states party once it once it was ratified i should say they have meetings to basically to check in what things need work how can we help other states look at this how can we get the nuclear weapon states involved uh and let's strengthen some of the provisions in this treaty and let's get clear about some of the provisions in this treaty verification uh, women's issues uh, but um, this is the second meeting of states and happens to be in New York. They picked the third meeting of states. I believe it's going to be next January. Kazakhstan, I believe, is going to be hosting the next meeting of states. So there are, <clears throat> they give them a job to do and goals for the next meeting of states. And they give a report after this next meeting of states. Let's give everyone here, there's a reachingcriticalwill.org, all one word, reachingcriticalwill.org does a fantastic job in <clears throat> giving you a lot of the details of the many, many meetings that were going on the past week inside the UN. Uh, it's a Herculean job. There were 50 side meetings, in other words, outside the official meetings between states to work on language, to work on uh, gender issues, to work on scientific studies, uh, to work on provisions for how do we get money for remediation to to the downwinders, to those in the Marshall Islands who are suffering still from our explosions. This is all part of the treaty. How do we get that stuff to work? How do we get the money to help them? So all this stuff has to be worked out in the treaty. Um, and so they're working hard behind closed doors, but meanwhile, civil society and many organizations like the, uh, international physicians for, um, the prevention of nuclear war, they would give a position paper, every organization, really PSR, uh, would give their position papers on certain issues, supporting certain, uh, topics that they're, their ex with their expertise, uh, the International Red Cross presented papers. So, uh, Scottish CND, we have a lot of great allies in Scotland. You're listening to our interview with Anthony Donovan, member of Veterans for Peace and longtime activist with regard to nuclear weapons, and he's giving us his take, uh, his quick take on the second meeting of states parties which just ended so back to anthony so that's what the week was about and and i think 
reachingcriticalwill.org, you can get a good overview, including a link to many of the papers that by the nations and the groups that were submitted if you want specifics. Also, icanw.org. Give them a little time. Give everyone a little time. But uh, Reaching Critical Will right now has got the most updated. But ICANN has uh, also will have links to where you can get more information from states' statements. The Holy See, uh, Pope Francis always makes a great statement. But they all they all do. I don't want to single out any one nation state. They all. And a lot of what goes on inside the UN this week would put many of us, as it did almost to me, asleep. Um, <clears throat> when you're hearing people reading statements, some are terribly exciting, but most of them are going through the obligations of thanking the president of this meeting, who is uh, the Mexican ambassador, uh, who did a great job. But they spend the first part of their statement thanking him, telling him what basically what a great man he is and what a great job he's doing, which he was and which he is. Uh, but And then they will just reaffirm the importance of the treaty, and then they might throw in one or two things that they're particularly supporting in the treaty. So it can be really tedious for some, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> but that's what goes on inside. And then there are all these side meetings, and if I could, um, all right, um, <clears throat> there are lots of side events many of which, of course, I couldn't go to because sometimes there'd be three or four side events at lunch hour in the morning after the plenary. Plenary is where all the nations would meet in the big hall um, going on at the same time. So there were a couple of things I would have loved to get to. Like there was there was a wonderful uh, gathering. We were linking to the COP. Was it in Geneva? I forget where. The big COP meeting in... in, in Noah, it's in uh, UAE. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Sorry, thank you. Not Geneva. Uh, right. <clears throat> so, so there was a wonderful between the uh, civil society and members of the TPNW linking Zoom link webinar with their climate folks. So this has to happen more and more. And this, to me, is perhaps one of the most exciting things to happen is the linking up of our two existential threats. And that was highlighted pretty much throughout this meeting, but we can't highlight it enough. I'll just go over a couple of side events that I managed to get to uh, that to me were wonderful. And I apologize to anyone who's listening. They're like, he's not going to talk about my side event, but I just couldn't get to them all. One is Tim and Wallace of NuclearBand.us that launched his new book, which is called Warheads to Windmills. Um, it's a great study. The book was launched this Friday at the UN. It's a great work. He actually, it's, uh, he updated his work from 2019 with the same title, Warheads to Windmills. The title says it all. That report was given to Representative Jim McGovern and Representative Barbara Lee uh, in the Congress in 2019, I think June 2019 which combined the two existential threats full of graphs that help you understand the jobs and the expertise it takes to make our nuclear weapons and moving that to what we need to save our planet and our climate. And it does a great job, uh, does a great job in linking those two and how it can happen. Will it happen? We're all doing what we can. So I don't waste my energy about, is it realistic? I know everything in this book is very realistic, well-documented, and it can happen. But as you and I know, this is our wars and our nuclear weapon system are not involved in any kind of democratic process. It's right. a hidden world. They take our money. I, I went to the Nuclear Deterrent Summit in Washington, D.C., where all the companies that make our nuclear weapons gather, and it's like a big party, but they, they rub elbows and their expertise. And there's only about four of us down there protesting. Next year, we have to change this. I think it's in January of 2024. We should have a huge presence down there. But these people had no, no concerns about getting funding for our nuclear weapons industry. 
None. Matter of fact, they were praising the fact that they were getting more than they asked for, more than they ever needed. And they're in the hiring mode. Come work with us, hitting every university in town. You know, we've got great jobs for you. So it was, it's devastating what's happening. To me, that's unrealistic. And this is realistic. I know it's early, but I did find what I considered two positives coming out of the meeting. And I know you can't, you can't expect too much, but I thought these two positives, uh, baby steps maybe, but they do have some impact. And the first one was the parliamentarians from around the world. And I'm, I'm quoting from the ICANN web website from around the world are showing their support for nuclear disarmament and the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. 23 elected officials from 14 countries followed ICANN's invitation to the second meeting of states' parties to exchange views, strategize, and consider concrete steps. In their statements, the attending parliamentarians highlighted the catastrophic humanitarian consequences of nuclear weapons and called for their elimination. They also urged their governments to observe the meetings of meeting of states parties to the TPNW as preliminary step towards joining the treaty. And the victory here that I see on this one was Jim McGovern, a congressman went and he was one of the parliamentarians and you had parliamentarians from Japan, from France, from Germany, from countries who did not sign on to the treaty, which, you know, the United States didn't. But here we have a congressman that is willing to attend the uh, second meeting of states parties and to participate in crafting a statement. Uh, I saw that as a, a, a real positive. And then the, the second one, an adopted decision included for the first time ever an agreement to work together to cha- challenge the false narratives of nuclear deterrence. States parties mandated states, the International Committee of the Red Cross and ICANN and other stakeholders and experts to challenge the security paradigm based on nuclear deterrence by highlighting and promoting new scientific evidence about the humanitarian consequences and risks of nuclear weapons and juxtaposing this with the risks and assumptions that are inherent in nuclear deterrence. There remains an information gap between what would actually happen as a result of nuclear war and the policy of nuclear armed states and their allies. And efforts to bridge that gap are our primary responsibility of those uh, whose policies include the use of nuclear weapons. And so I thought, all right, they came out and they said, Guys, deterrence don't work. And I thought, all right, make a statement. Those are right up front where I was going. So thank you very much for getting us back to this meeting. You, Veterans for Peace, had a lot to do with Jim McGovern showing up. You don't know that. But we sat in Jim McGovern's, the golden rule. Remember the golden rule? We, We went to Jim McGovern's office in April. We've been working with Jim McGovern for quite a while on his resolution. Jim McGovern has also passed a res, H res 77, which is really worth getting all our congressmen and Congress people to sign, please. H res 77. But when we visited his office and spoke to him, we said, you have to come up to this, please, please. And like, oh, I don't know, DC, blah, blah, blah. Please. We figured out a day that he had off, which was Monday. It happened to be the day for the parliamentarians meeting. So Veterans for Peace, thank you. You were one of the people that really helped make that happen. You probably didn't know that. And Tim and Wallace, who that book I just showed, um, also has been working. He's, Jim McGovern lives in his district and he knows him for years and has been working with Jim for years on this subject. Jim is one of our great <laughs> allies. He, So you're absolutely right. He's motivated. He only has about 41 people that have signed his resolution. Out of So let's keep moving on that. He needs help. He's psyched. He really got a huge boost coming up here to New York. He said he was skeptical. 
before he came up. And he said, being in the UN and listening to people around the world, one of whom was Bill Kidd from uh, a member of uh, Scotland's parliament, a great champion and a great ally. Uh, so this was a great day that Monday you're talking about, Jim. And yeah. And Jim got really, uh, McGovern got really psyched. You're right about the terminology. Listen, this was a great week for a couple of things. The Scientific Advisory Committee was formed in last year's meeting, and they gave their first report this year. It is dynamite. It's uh, They've basically really got some great scientists from around the world to really beef up and support practically with facts, scientific facts, the humanitarian consequences of testing, of mining, of exploding, of everything to do with nuclear or nuclear weapon industry. And it's a great report. They're not done. It's a process. They have their goals for what to work on now. Verification. When you speak to our Congress people like, well, we don't trust Russia and the verification isn't there. I, I've done a lot of lobbying in DC around this issue and verification will come up constantly to me. And to many people, verification is always used as an excuse to delay getting involved. Well, we don't have the verification. You can't trust China. You can't trust Russia. Well, we have verification methods right now that you don't need to trust anybody. We have scientific means and satellite images, but um, radar, we have all kinds of means of detecting every element everywhere. Unfortunately, that's the world we're moving into. Their cell phones, they know where we are, what we're saying, et cetera. But, but verification is great. So the scientific group, advisory group, is fabulous. And I that was, to me, one of the most exciting events that I went to. That wasn't a side event. That was a main event in the main hall. The other big reports that were in there were uh, reports on gender, which is very important for much of the world. And this treaty is one of the first treaties to really take that very seriously in getting women uh, to head up many of the committees and uh, to be totally involved and get their input as affected or more affected than the male. So that was huge there. But you, you're you're right. The, a big point was debunking this deterrence. And we're coming up with all kinds of ways to do that. And Timmons book does a great job of debunking the deterrence uh, model. The other big thing was how to get monies, uh, how to how do we help those who have been affected by our radiation through the years? We heard some testimonies in the large inside events, but also in, in for everybody. Uh, uh, these horror stories of generations upon generations of people with cancers, grandparents down to their mothers and fathers, to their grandchildren, cancers. Uh, in areas that are way above averages, anyone that had to deal with this industry. So <clears throat> how to recognize that, talk about it. here in the U.S., in the Polynesian, French Polynesian islands, in the Marshall Islands, anywhere, anywhere where people were affected by these tests. And it's ongoing. This radiation today is affecting people through generations. So this is another focus that happened this week. That's really important. And how do we raise, begin to raise the funds to help with remediation? So <clears throat> I'll move back to uh, a couple of exciting side events that I felt. There's the Nuclear Free Future Awards. This is a side event. Have, the Nuclear Free Future Awards have been awarding champions, pushing against, you know, well, standing up for nuclear abolition since the late 1990s. And one of the awardees, besides some of the people from the affected islands that I was just talking, who gave moving, terribly profound, moving testimonies that can make you cry. Ah, yeah. oh, boy. When I listen, when I remember some of their testimonies, talking about how she has cancer, her daughter now has cancer. It, it's just how real this is. This is someone that out in New Mexico here in the United States. Yeah, um, yeah was... I listened I listened to some of the press conference uh, after mm -hmm. the 
event and they had a panel and it was basically people that were either downwinders or subject to testing and were <clears> subject <throat> to mining. And um, it was heart wrenching with yeah. when they talk about their relatives and the devastation and being moved, being literally moved from their home so that their home could be destroyed by a nuclear bomb. Yeah. So, yeah, no, these testimonies are unbelievable. And and so this week we heard a lot of that. That was part of it. The gender issues, but uh, the downwinders affected and many, but the scientific committee was good, but I, I just, the nuclear free future awards, I don't know if it's gotta be up online soon, but who spoke post humorously, um, Dan Ellsberg was awarded this year and Robert Ellsberg, his son, um, accepted the award. And Robert Ellsberg gave a terribly moving and energy, uh, just uh, if you need to be supported in your work that seems useless as we go marching on this this new nuclear arms race, we got to get his uh, we got to get Robert's uh, his presentation up somewhere because he is so right on speaking for his father and how dedicated his father was right up till his moments of his death about ridding the world of nuclear weapons and how serious it was for him and how he regretted he couldn't do it before he died but totally committed to that and totally supported and what gave him hope was you the people listening to this and to you veterans for peace he loved all. He loved the golden rule. He loved all the. He loved hearing these things. The people at Kings Bay Plowshares. And um, anyway, it was very moving. So I hopefully that can go up somewhere. Um, Ward Wilson gave a side event about his new book off the press just this month, I believe. Um, it's called "It Is Possible: A World Free of Nuclear we- Weapons." Ward Wilson is highly recommend, uh, highly respected in the military community, but also Freeman Dyson, who worked with Oppenheimer and Einstein very closely, who I interviewed as well, loved Ward Wilson. He said, you got to listen to this guy. But he's written a great book on how to push back on the arguments for nuclear weapons, on deterrence, how how to get them at their own game that – it serves no military purpose at all. But how to make that that statement, where's the meat behind that statement? And he backs his book, um, It Is Possible, A World Free of Nuclear Weapons, does that. I think it's up on Amazon now. That's Ward Wilson. One of the great things about these conferences are just people from around the world coming that become your friends. Uh, when I went to Fazlane Scott, Scotland. I met all these tremendous Scots, including the representative Bill Kidd, who's in the Scottish Parliament. I, I don't know how it is now, but I think it's like 47 out of 49 members of Scottish Parliament want UK's nuclear weapons out of Scotland. They're all in Scotland. You know yeah. that. Yep. They're yeah. All, yeah, they're all in Faslane. So they want them out. John LaForge and Marion Coopter from Buchel which is where we keep our nuclear weapons in Germany. Buchel Air Base, where a number of us got arrested. Uh, he was there. So it's it's just great that, you know, you feel so heartened by seeing these people show up and give little talks and presentations about what they're up to. So that, to me, is personally rewarding. And you you you, you feel the beloved community, the people that know as you do, that a better world is possible and we don't really need these things. There were two exciting events that I'd like to mention that happened outside the UN that had nothing to do with ICANN, although I think they supported the first thing. Is we presented our U.S. mission, which is right across the street from the UN, with a letter, and then we walked to the Russian mission, and presented them with the same letter translated in Russian. This letter was sponsored by the Veterans for Peace and many, many other groups, 30-some-odd groups. The Manhattan Project for a Nuclear-Free World was the and uh, Peace Action were the primary sponsors, but we all were involved in this. And it was great. So our U.S. mission obviously ignored us. 
Although I sent them the letter in email and we tried to give it to them at the door. They wouldn't take it. But we had a tremendous signage and 200 people outside our U.S. mission. The other, that was on the 28th. The other on the 30th was an action where we blockaded the same embassy, the U.S. uh, mission to the United Nations. We blocked all three entrances to our own mission. Uh, some people don't believe in those tactics. It's okay. I believe in everything and uh, peacefully demonstrating and doing our Congress thing with Jim McGovern and, uh, but in writing letters and making phone calls and showing up on the corners as we do marches. <clears throat> but I, I love the people that also say, we got to tell these people to get across the street and listen and mm-hmm. stop business as usual. So for two hours, no employees of our U.S. mission could go in or out. And it was quite a scuffle. The security police came out and started kicking and pushing. But these are people well-trained. These are Catholic workers who've been doing this for many decades. Dorothy Day getting arrested in the 50s. But uh, the War Resisters League were there. They've been protesting nuclear weapons since. Well, I know in the 70s they were always there. They were sponsors of many of the 1970s events. So the war resistors were there, Catholic workers, Nuke Watch, John LaForge and, and, and Kelly Lundin from Nuke Watch out in the Midwest came. <clears throat> they were part of the blockade. Uh, Veterans for Peace had a member. Uh, Ellen Barfield. Uh-huh. I hope, hope she doesn't mind me shouting her out, but she was there. She got arrested. 18 people got arrested. And I just remember one of the employees going up to the door saying, we're going to take you to court. You know, you're going to get arrested. I'm missing a meeting. And they're like, just very calmly saying, you know, we're, we're sorry. It's not personal. You know, we, we, uh, we're sure we're happy. Please. Yeah. Let's go to court. Let's go to court. Let's talk about this. We're happy to go to court. Let's get any coverage. There's no coverage about this. So 18 people got arrested. They put up a, they put up a big banner of sign the treaty U.S. on the window, big, huge 10-foot banner on the window saying U.S. signed the treaty. And another huge banner that they held at the front door saying, we are not breaking the law. We are here to uphold the law. So, and that was a great discussion with the police. I have to praise the New York City police in this area, in this region. They were so professional when the uh, state, uh, sorry, when the U.S. police, uh, when the security from inside came out, they were pushing and kicking and trying to rip down the signs. They actually ripped down the banner from the window, calling us names. Uh, the NYPD went right up to him and said, stop. No, no, you can't do this. Go inside. <laughs> so, I mean, sorry, but the look on their face were like, uh, inside. <laughs> yeah, go inside. You know, uh, I don't want to put them down. They're look, they're paid to do a job. They have families. They're they have real threats at that embassy from all around the world. So when people are blocking the doorways, they they have to discern. But the NYPD, they they know us. They trust us. They know we're not a threat. We don't have. We're not armed. We're not going to punch anybody. And we're not going to destroy things. So that that was very exciting. So for two hours, we stopped business as usual. Excellent. No, but uh, that's we're used to that. I I wanted to ask, you know, there's the timing of this. There's two elephants in the room at this point. There's Israel and Gaza, Ukraine and Russia. Was there any mentioned discussion of the heightened nuclear threat based on those two things going on. Yes. Okay. Yes. And by several people. And I also want you to know the representative from Palestine uh, actually testified, you know, in the plenary meeting and he did the normal thing, praised the president and all that. But he also said, and we're being occupied and assaulted right now. By uh, a nuclear state, and the place erupted. Civil society erupted in applause. 
to that. Uh, the diplomats, that's not allowed. Applause is not allowed in the chamber, but that's, so people broke protocol to erupt an applause for that statement. So yes, we, we're very, very well aware and of the rave, uh, of the saber rattling yeah. and the nukes involved there. Yes. You know, Archbishop Wester, one last thing from New Mexico, came to the United Nations, gave a statement as well. Archbishop Wester's in touch with Pope Francis, and he gave a wonderful, he's out there in Santa Fe near the labs, and uh, to have an archbishop in the Catholic Church, which is too conservative, saying that we have to support this treaty was profound, and uh, he he was great. He actually came to the protests and spoke to the people outside the U.S. mission. Well, Anthony, we better leave it there, and we do end up with a song. Do you have a recommendation? You know, a lot of the, the Japanese that were there, they love We Shall Overcome. Okay, we will make that happen. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Harvey. That was our special guest, Anthony Donovan, member of Veterans for Peace and longtime anti-nuclear activist, giving a quick reflection about the second meeting of states' parties on the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons, a story that you are not going to hear anywhere but right here. So thanks again to Anthony, and don't forget his website, anthonydonovan.com, and the documentaries. Now, the song. I found a recording on YouTube from the Rogue Valley Peace Choir singing in Kobe, Japan, in which the Japanese audience in Kobe joined in to We Will Overcome. Yeah. 